Holy shit, yeah. it sounds like a plane taking off. Shut the fuck up. Sorry, my pornness <laughs> bothers you. But you said your porn is bothering me. I have this archaic laptop that I'm having to work with, okay? You're this, doing this laptop has seen some stuff and some things and... <laughs> stuff and things. Like, right. it, I'm pretty sure, because you haven't seen it in a while, I'm pretty sure if I let you see it, you cry, because it looks a whole lot worse now than it did before. <laughs> what did you do, spill wine on the keyboard or something? <laughs> First of all, I don't drink wine. Uh, second of all, no, I, I kind of busted the charging port, which is unfortunate because this thing doesn't run unless you have it charging because something fucked up with the battery. Mm, I get that. I've done that a lot. Anyway, hey, welcome to Sweet Tea and D&D. We're actually doing a podcast today. We're not just talking about our woes. <laughs> <laughs> Running through the six with my shitty laptop. <laughs> so I'm going to have to office space this bitch when I, when I can not be in quarantine. Yeah. I mean, you can office space it now. Just stay six feet apart. Um, you know, it would put an immediate abrupt end to what we're doing here so i'm gonna pause on that <laughs> very true now that I think about it so yeah it's sweet tea and D and we're gonna still try to do this even though we're in a shelter in place order from our own city government yeah the no. mayor has spoken the mayor the governor everybody everybody's talking all people are doing is fucking Lieutenant talking is talking he should shut the fuck up uh, oh god anyway uh yeah hey everybody um, <laughs> how's it going? How's your mother? <laughs> like, how's everybody? I hope you're all well, washing your hands and staying indoors for 20 seconds. Yes, make sure you sing your happy birthday or your Twice. whatever. So, I did that. I can't remember if I was on the last episode, I talked about that. It was, I, I, think I it went, was. was it? I can't. I can't remember what either way. I don't remember. Who knows? Oh, no, I'm it was only with Garrett. It was in the movie with Garrett. Yeah, we were in the studio. We were in the studio. Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, I won't say it again. So, um, today we're going to be talking about some monsters. We're going to do a magic item as usual, and our for our well, we can leave the tip as a surprise. It's always a surprise, isn't it? Uh, God, I hope not. <laughs> Just the two. All right. You should leave that to me. <laughs> yeah, I should. I should. Uh, am I starting or are you? You're starting. I started last It's episode. me. All right, so today I'm going to be talking about one clockwork in particular. Um, we're talking about clockworks which are made from gnomes. Uh, the gnomes' efforts to invent and tinker with magic and mechanical devices produces many failed constructs, many failed constructs, but also results in genuine advances such as clockworks. <laughs> I just said clocksworth like 700 times. I'm cutting this part and we're going to try again. No, it's because how you said genuine. <laughs> Gen- wait, you, did I say genuine? Yes, you did. Like the singer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a bachelor looking for a clockwork. I was just like, okay. <laughs> you see, see, I guess we're leaving it in. Uh, so um, they have kind of taken these skills that they've learned and passed them down generation to generation, getting them a little bit better. Uh, they do all fall under the same clockwork nature, which is they do not require air, food, drink, or sleep because they're not living. I'm going to talk particularly about the stone defender, which is a thick plate of stone riveted into a stone defender, uh, give it substantial protection and allow it to conceal itself against a stony surface. 
Its chief role isn't as an ambusher, but as a bodyguard for gnomes and other clockworks. Um, there is an aspect of this that you can kind of customize as they've kind of passed it down over generations. None of them are ever perfectly forming. Some of them are gonna have issues. Some of them are gonna have better benefits. There's a lot of tweaking based off what the creator did. So whenever you're using one of these, think of the creator who made it and what their purpose was toward. So there's a list of 10 clockwork enhancements and 10 malfunctions. And you can kind of put those together based off who made it, what its purpose is, other than defending, what else has it got? Uh, so I, you can find those on page 124 of Mordecai's Tome of Foes. On page 126, you can find the Stone Defender stat blocks and a beautiful photo of itself. It's kind Did it of take like, a selfie? <laughs> it took a selfie, yes, because it's doing the Instagram challenges we're all doing today. Oh, um, gosh. I refuse. Uh, unless someone sneaks my picture. So it's essentially, it's a medium construct. It's a bipedal monster to a degree. It's a creature construct. But it has like giant stone plates on its arms and it is prepared to beat the shit out of you with them. Um, it is medium. It has an armor of 16. It's considered natural armor. It hit points of 52 with a maximum of 7d8 plus 21, a speed of 30 feet. It has a strength modifier of plus 4 with a score of 19, so it's sturdy as hell. Uh, dexterity is 10 plus 0. Con is 17 plus 3. It is dumb as hell with an intelligence of negative 4 with a score of 3. And its wisdom is 10 plus 0. Yeah, and charisma, this beautiful son of a bitch, has a score of 1 and a minus 5. Here's where it gets challenging for your party. It is immune to poison, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't adamantium. So magic weapons are going to cut through it. Uh, adamantium will cut through it, but it's not going to work if you're doing just standard weapons that you purchased from uh, the store or got in your starter pack. It is immune to being charmed, exhausted, frightened, paralyzed, petrified, and poisoned. Again, it's not living, so it doesn't have feelings, nor does it have a circulatory system. Same. Um, same. <laughs> you have a, I hope you have a circulatory system. If not, this is a weird conversation. Um, <laughs> okay, first, place your finger under your chin. No, just, uh, <laughs> so it has dark vision up to 60 feet, and it's not super great at spotting with a passive perception of 10, so you could probably sneak past this thing pretty quickly. Uh, it understands. I'm just, just see, saying. No, I just I had this, you know, picture in my head come up of having the worst stealth roll and like just zooming past this thing, being like, oh, but look over there. Yeah, <laughs> it it has like a singular red eye in the photo, but again, the creator can do whatever they want with this and how it looks, and it looks like it has like a separate little thing in the back that's like a secondary push button. And it looks like it's got a flathead screw attached to it. So I don't know how a gnome built this with their tiny body. Who the hell lifted these stone pieces? But whatever, they can have it. Um, it understands one language of its creator, but it can't speak. If I had to guess, gnomish are common, because that's kind of what they learned. It is a CR of four, and killing it or defeating it will give it a 1,100 XP. It kind of has those other bonuses of constructs of when they don't move, they have false appearance, similar to a few other creatures. Uh, when they're dead still, they blend into a, uh, the surface as long as it's uneven earth or stone. So, okay, go back. You said it has to be uneven earth or stone? Yes. It, it can't just, like, stand out in the woods and be like, you don't see me. It has to blend in <laughs> with its surrounding because it is a giant stone. It has, like, 
it essentially has the same shapes as candy corn mounted on its arms and it's extending with the points going behind it. Oh, okay. It looks like he, it doesn't look like he has candy corn. It's candy corn. <laughs> it took candy me a corn. second. Okay. And so candy corn arms, candy corn giant stone <laughs> shields on its side. Not the color, just the shape. And so if it stood still and kind of covered itself up, I believe you would probably be like, that's just a wall. Um, it is resistant to magic, so it has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magic effects, because it is made of magic. It's not really a heavy hitter. Their stat block is kind of limited on its actions that it can take. It has slam. That's it. Plus six to hit <laughs> with the reach of five feet. One target, and it does 11 or 2d6 plus four for a maximum of 16 bludgeoning damage. And if the target is large or smaller, it is knocked prone. So this thing would be really good about reducing the speed of your party if it hits them and knocks them down. And most of your party members are going to be large or smaller. I don't think there's a large character race. Goliaths don't count as large. Neither do furballs. Um, <laughs> their last thing that they have is a reaction, which again, you can only use once per turn. Uh, it is called the intercept attack. In response to another creature within five feet of it being hit by an attack roll before the damage is rolled, the stone defender gives that creature a plus five bonus to AC against the attack, as long as it can see the creature that it's defending and it can see who shot it or it attacked the creature. So it's a really, essentially this thing can give you a shield spell as a reaction. It's only used for one attack though. It can't be used for the rest of the round. It's just one triggering effect. Uh, if the AC is boosted high enough, it considers it a miss, and you don't get to hit that creature. So it's really good at defending its creatures, and really, uh, it's going to do some damage at a CR of four. But it's it's not very quick about it. It doesn't have multi-attack, it just gets to hit once. And that is the Stone Defender. May it protect your gnomes and its other constructs. Uh, and that's again on page 126 of Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. Okay, so... Besides the fact, I think if you drop this thing from an aerial and it spun around, it'd be like a cool ceiling fan effect, and it would just glide gracefully down. Um, <laughs> okay, side comment on this. Do you remember those like weird toys as kids that you set on a base and pulled the string and they like flew off into the air? Uh huh. The girls ones had like fairies, and the boys yeah, had, like the only cool thing things. I, yeah, we had like dragons and shit. I don't remember what it was, but the, I remember this like video of this girl like so excited she got one. And it went to the this, fireplace. Yes. I was like, oh, the, this golem would be okay. It's probably okay with fire damage, too. I mean, it still takes normal damage, but. Uh, it would it, also be beautiful and graceful as a, you know, dragon. I know, yeah. spun around. Gravity. <laughs> <laughs> this thing. It's gravity pulls this thing down there. <laughs> if this thing reaches terminal velocity, it's going to hit like a fucking mortar. Uh, <laughs> Everyone in the town. Dead. dead. Um, but dead. I think it's really cool. I like the idea of this thing protecting something really valuable. I like the idea that it's more meant. It's more meant like if somebody was invading their city, and it's just meant to give them time to get out of the way. Because most gnomes are pacifists; they don't. They're not really fighters. So I think they. I think it's apropos that they would make something like this. I think it's very cool. Yeah, and I think. This gives the gnome kind of an option to have a defense while they're working on some bigger, better, more fun, goofy projects. Mm -hmm. There are one, uh, two, three, three other clockworks available in this book. There are a few others in the other books as well. Uh, there's a bronze scout, which is kind of like a snake 
a very, very angry snake. Oh, actually, no. The Iron Cobra is exactly like a snake. And I just looked at it after like four. Snake. <laughs> like a snake. The other one is kind of like a... Uh, trying to describe what it looks like. It has spikes on a wheel for legs. So take that as what you will. It's kind of got a long plated body. And it has sharp teeth and two claws on the front. So it looks like it's built for digging. Uh, so there's that. There's the iron cobra that's literally a cobra, and it has it showing itself holding a treasure chest. So that probably should tell you what it is. Uh, and then the other one is an oaken bolter, which just fires extremely powerful bolts at things. And I like that. Um, the description kind of above this text says, never depend on something built by a gnome. You can always rely on a gnome to take a good idea and make it impractical. And some oh, of wow. these look very impractical. Mm. And I love them. <laughs> so they're so. kind of like, I feel like all these all these people are kind of like Belle's dad. Ever seen Beauty and the Beast? Like her father was an inventor and he made very this. Much, yeah. And he made like the wood chip chopper that was super complicated. <laughs> super complicated, but still important for the plot for some reason. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yep. How are we going to get these events to come together? I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put them in a wooden basement. Oh, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I right. have an axe. Okay. <laughs> All right. I have the flail snail. <laughs> it's on page 144 of Volo's Guide to Monsters. There we go. All right. So the flail snail, <laughs> as it says, it is. it does look like a snail. It looks like kind of like a beach snail. It has more of an oceany conch type shell 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 <laughs> um and then its upper body where its eyes and antenna would be there are in fact five and they look like maces or flails and it's got big old juicy lips <laughs> mm, big old juicy lips snail lips a flail snail is a creature of it's elemental <laughs> is a creature of elemental earth that is prized for its multi-hued shell Hunters might be lulled into a false sense of confidence upon sighting this ponderous, seemingly non-hostile creature. If any other creature large enough to be a threat approaches too close, though, the snail unleashes a flash of scintillating light and then attacks with its mace-like tentacles. Oh, it's like the um, like the death lights from It. I haven't watched It. You did. Jamie, we've realized I'm a piece of shit when it in terms of consuming popular culture in terms in movies. We're the listeners know I'm a piece of garbage for that. Just tell me your story. Look, now's the perfect time. <laughs> um, okay, so trail of treasure left undisturbed. A flail snail moves slowly along the ground, consuming everything on the surface, including rocks, sand, and soil, stopping to relish crystal growths and other large mineral deposits. It leaves behind a shimmering trail that quickly solidifies into a thin layer of nearly transparent substance and inedible to the snail. Uh, this glassy residue can be harvested and cut to form window panes of varying clear clearness. It can also be heated and spun into glass objects of other sorts. Some humanoids make a living from trailing flail snails to collect this glass. That is... Fuck every background in 5E. I want s- <laughs> My background job is going to just be snail follower. Like, what's your job? Bro, I- that's, that's got to be it. Like, I'm writing it down as we speak. 
that would be like the greatest background fail snail follower flail snail follower or like it's a guild artisan whose job is window maker or whatever or glass maker and and it's just what well where do you get your material well let me tell you let i me follow tell a large snail <laughs> This would be the. How about this? How about they're like a duo, <laughs> and he like rides it through the forest. <laughs> when I googled it, there's a ton of them that are just pictures of people riding flail snails. Like get the fuck out. Okay, let me. Continue. I googled fail snail, fail snail, fail snail. Images. There's a bunch of pictures with saddles on them, just for your perusing. Later. That is amazing. Okay, um, a flail snail shell which weighs about 250 pounds, has right. numerous uses. One intact shell can sell for 5,000 gold pieces. Many, right. Many hunters seek the shell for its anti-magic properties. A skilled armorer can make three shields from one shell. For one month, each shield gives its wielder the snail's anti-magic shell trait. When the shield's magic fades, it leaves behind an exotic shield that is the perfect item from which to make a spell guard shield. A flail snail. Sh- <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> a flail snail shell can be used to make a robe of scintillating colors. I'm sorry, it was hyphenated and I was like, whoa. The shell is ground and added to the dye while the garment is being fashioned. Powder is also a material component of the ritual that enchants the rope. I mean, that's pretty dope. That enchants the what? The robe. So when you're making um, that ground-up dish, you put it in there, and that's what gives it its magic. Okay. Is the ground-up bits of the flail snail shell. That's a lot to say. It's hard to say. You know, I, I really like that they put that in there, because... And now that we're following the snail to pick up its snail glass, we're also going to hunt it down and steal its shell. But then you lose your supply of glass. You know what? When it dies, I'll be there. I'll put salt on it. <gasps> Can that be the thing? To put salt on it? Like, you know, because snails dissolve in, snot in salt, right? Uh, yep. Yep. Damn. So when, okay, go on this journey with me. So if you put salt on a snail and they kind of like you know ooze or whatever and they die would that make a lot of glass at one time i wonder because they kind of just oh that's that's a good question because it essentially science <laughs> what it <no>. is <laughs> i will science it real quick so oh, when you add salt to it i'm gonna kill all the snails i would um, not i'm not killing it snails, works guys, better on slugs just saying it, that I do know. I, 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 yeah, anyway. But essentially, you salt them to death that in order to equilibrate the salty levels, they push all of the liquid out of their bodies. I mean, I know how it works. Homeostasis, yo. Homeostasis? Homeostasis. 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 That sounds like a homie named Stacy. Um, oh. Carry on. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, that was just a thought. That'd be cool. I, I like the idea of this being put into a story. Because, I mean, look, it has, like, all these uses. It's so cool. It literally tell you, tells you what spells and shit they use it for. And I really yeah. appreciate that, especially I, when I've seen it. The, I would use this as a – the city that they're in, the players are in has this gnome clockwork or maker or crafter who owns the magic shop. 
and he's like, hey, I'll give you a friend of the store's deal if you go get me this snail shell and some glass I need to make potion vials or whatever. It'd be cool. Send them on a quest. Because, like, if you made potion vials from the glass of, of this creature, they wouldn't be able to detect that it was a magic liquid inside. Hmm, that's interesting. Right, because it's an it's an anti magic thing, right? Well, the the oh, that's the is, shell. That's just the, the shell's anti magic. Let's see. Let me read that part again. No, it doesn't have any magical powers. I guess you could you you as a DM obviously can give it that, but it doesn't explicitly say it in the book. Yeah. All right. Anyway, to the stat block. Um, a flail snail is a large. Yeah, I didn't see that coming either, guys. A large um, elemental, which is unaligned. Um, other things that I saw have this labeled as like a construct. Um, and not elemental, it's elemental in 5e. Uh, armor class is 16, which is natural armor. It has uh, HP of 52 up to 75 hit points. A speed of 10, so you could outrun it. <laughs> uh, it has a strength of 17 uh, with a plus 3. It has a dex of 5 with a minus 3. A con of 20 with a plus 5. An intelligence of 3 with a negative 4. A wisdom of 10 with a plus zero. A charisma of five with a negative three. You have, it's immune to fire and poisoned. Uh, yeah. Um, it has dark vision up to 60 feet. It has tremor sense of 60 feet and a passive perception of 10. Languages, it has a dash. Okay. none. <laughs> but see, here's what I don't get. It says none when there's none. And then some of them. I've seen it say none. I've seen it, I've seen it say none. I don't know. Hmm. I, it's conv- I don't know. It, I don't like when it has a dash mark. Then how does it communicate? Yeah. <laughs> Even um, if it's just snail to snail, I feel like they have to communicate. Do they have pheromones? Pheromones. <laughs> they communicate with the heart. Um, Actually, they communicate with very sharp, pointy penises. But that's well, maybe list. maybe they they have to touch flails, and they <laughs> that's how they communicate. Well, a lot of snails are hermaphroditic, so they have, you know, both parts. Yeah. And so when it's time, when two snails meet and they're like, let's mate, they're both trying to stab each other with a harpoon filled with sperm. And so (laughs) whoever gets stung has to have the baby. I'm not kidding. It is how it works. That is how people should work. (laughs) Metal is, uh, nature is so metal. (laughs) Like... Whoever stabbed each other with the with it first is the one who has whoever, to carry the baby. Whoever uses their harpoon dick to <laughs> penetrate my just a tip. Uh, <laughs> it's more like a fun anyway. biology fact. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. This is what we do. Okay, it's a CR of three. Uh, it does have the anti magic shell. The snail has advantage on saving throws against spells. And any creature making a spell attack against the snail has disadvantage on the attack roll. If the snail succeeds on the saving throw against a spell or a spell attack uh, misses it, an additional effect might occur as determined by rolling a d6. On a one or two, um, if the spell affects an area or has multiple targets, it fails and has no effect. If the spell targets only the snail, it has no effect on the snail and is reflected back at the caster Using the spell slot level, spell save DC, attack bonus, and spell casting ability of the caster. So it literally bounces right back at you. 
that's fun. That is fun. I like that a lot. Um, three and four has no additional effect. On a five or six, the snail's shell converts some of the spell's energy into a burst of destructive force. Each creature within 30 feet of the snail must save, uh, must make a DC 15 con save, taking 1d6 force damage per level of the spell on a failed save, or half as much uh, damage on a successful one. It has the flail tentacles. The flail snail has five flail tentacles. Whenever the snail takes 10 damage or more on a single turn, one of its tentacles dies. If even one tentacle remains, the snail regrows all dead ones within 1d4 days. If all its tentacles die, the snail retracts into its shell, getting total cover, and it begins wailing. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a snail scream before. Um, a sound that can be heard for 600 feet, stopping only when it dies 5d6 minutes later. What the fuck? Healing magic that restores limbs, such as the regenerate spell, can halt this dying process. So if you need that thing alive, you gotta get it quick. Regenerates a high-level spell, too. Uh, it's like, no, fuck you, that's why. And I guess because it does have an anti-magic shell, you... It's going to resist it, so it's, it is like it's not going to be effective, um, or it would it would have to be something that high to get through the shell, I guess. Um, it has the multi attack. The flail snail makes as many flail tentacle attacks as it has flail tentacles, all against the same target. Ooh, five attacks of that against one target. Damn. Um, that is a melee weapon attack with the flail tentacle, a plus five to hit or reach of ten feet. Uh, on one target, on a hit, it does six up to nine bludgeoning damage. So it doesn't hit hard, but you can get up to 45 damage if they all hit and you got max damage. Um, they have the scintillating shell, recharges after a short or long rest. The snail's shell emits dazzling colored light until the end of the snail's next turn. During this time, the shell sheds bright light in a 30-foot radius and dim light for an additional 30 feet, and creatures that can see the snail have disadvantage on attack rolls against it. In addition, any creature within the bright light and able to see the snail when this power is activated must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or be stunned until the light ends. Lastly, it has shell defense. The flail snail withdraws into its shell, gaining a plus four bonus to AC until it emerges. It can emerge from its shell as a bonus action on its turn. So pretty cool little creature. Like, it has a lot of uh, potential for, for a lot of stuff. I, I can think of tons of ways to use this creature just to interact with your PCs. I, it sounds like a fun, like, monster hunt type situation of like, oh yeah, you got to get it. We need glass. We need its shell. We need this. What I don't it's just kind of creepy that it wails for 600 feet. That <laughs> that does sound horrifying. That just sounds like it's trying to draw in something else to take the party at. Like, I'm not going down without a fight. Well, I mean, if all you wanted was my shell, too. Like, if it's being poached, I can see that. Like, nah, man. Yeah. Maybe I it feel... calls a horde of other flail snails and they come and beat the shit out of you. Yeah, at 10 feet every six seconds. <laughs> Little did you know, there's an, a herd of flail snails slowly coming toward you. <laughs> they may not be the fastest, but their revenge is so <laughs> Their revenge is so sweet and so slow. 
<laughs> so I like that one. I think that's a fun monster. I think that would be like a that could I could easily see that as like a single one-off adventure that the party's got to do. They've got to track it. They're following a glassy trail. There's some people gathering the glass, maybe trying to collect it for themselves. And let's say there's two crafters. One wants the shell, one wants the slime. And so there's that group that's following for the slime continually. And then there's the crafter who wants its shell, so they have to kill it. And so you have to fight them and the snail in trying to take it out. And I think that's pretty interesting as an idea. Um, it is pretty dope. I, I like it. Uh, to change topics briefly, we're going to go talk about our magic item. This week is brought to you by the Sun Disc. <laughs> Sounds like Sunny D. Uh, it's the Sun Disc. It's in Unearthed Arcana. I found it online uh, recently. It is a wondrous item. It is considered very rare and does require attunement. It is a magical throwing weapon used to destroy hordes of enemies. As an action, a creature attuned to this item can throw it forward in a line 30 feet long and 5 feet wide. So kind of like lightning bolt straight ahead. Uh, all creatures in that area must succeed on a dexterity throw of 50... Uh, sorry. At, all creatures in the area must succeed on a dexterity saving throw with a DC of 15 plus your dexterity modifier, and they take 3d6 radiant damage on a failed save. Once the disc reaches its maximum range of 30 feet, it remains in that square until the start of your next turn. At the start of your next turn, the disc returns to you along with the shortest path possible. All creatures in that area on the return path must repeat the saving throw, taking 66 radiant damage on a failed save. The disc returns to you on your next turn, even if you had moved since throwing the disc. So the way I see it is... You kind of chunk it out. It hits all the things in the path if they're in a straight line, which would be nice. And then it spins there until your next turn when you can either move or stand in the same position. And it comes back to ream your enemies. The one thing I have questions about it is how many times a day it can do this. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily say that. If you're clearing like hordes and hordes of creatures, maybe this is something you kind of have like as a siege type weapon. Especially if something's like coming, if somebody in a seat, not a siege type weapon, like an actual like ballista or something, but if you're in a siege or in a war, this is something you're throwing out. Maybe it's something that a few people have. So this is like a discus, right? Like from the game, from like the, you know, you throw it outside discus, right? The picture of it is kind of this flaming, essentially manhole cover size thing. Yeah. I could, I don't, I don't have a grasp on how big this thing is. Because I'm thinking, okay, if it's a discus, and like, because I'm like, first of all, how do you throw a manhole cover? You can't. It's too heavy. It's too big. It's I don't understand. Yeah. What is this thing? I do have a questions of how much is it? What is it made from? Um, if it's radiant damage, right? Okay, uh, radiant. It does say radiant damage. So radiant damage usually has a source, right? Like, yeah. So what is giving, I feel like there's more of a story to it, and I have a lot of questions about the item. But it, is, yeah. it sounds dope. You get forward damage and backward damage, and the backward damage is more? Heck yeah. yeah. It's pretty strong. I would say, though, if it's, if it's something, since it doesn't have like a limitation of how many times it could use, it would definitely have an AC and an HP of it's going to break if something gets it. Because it has to stay 30 feet away from you for a, a round, essentially. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that would be something that could be one, it'd be interesting as kind of like maybe I could see this as a combat encounter puzzle or defense too. Like a legendary action is 
some creature launches a sun disc into the air trying to take the party out too. It's not necessarily something you have to give a party member, but it might be something like a boss or somebody really powerful in a circle would have. Um, it doesn't have any information on the weight. I'm assuming it's kind of a discus shot, but it's a dexterity weapon, so it can't be too terribly heavy No. in terms of the mechanics of the game. So it's something to think about. I definitely think it still needs a little workshopping, but I think it's an interesting way of doing essentially 9d6 damage over two turns. It does take an action, though, to throw it, so you can't yeah. do anything else. Um this is good for someone who is like a caster who wants to stay far away, but still do really good damage. So if you had this weapon, which again, like we said, I, I see it as being something someone commissions and whatever material you make it out of decides how heavy it is, decides uh, what it can do, if it has additional properties, if, you know, all these other things that are factors that we've been talking about um, and what its um, hit points would be, what its AC would be. Things like that. So if you make it out of something sturdier, yeah, maybe it has a higher AC, but you know, yeah, you you would definitely have to tweak this. But if you set up stats for this, I see it being something really versatile that you could put in there that could do a whole bunch of damage. Yeah, a shit ton of damage if you're not careful. And it's it's a wondrous item, and it's very rare. And that is a high level item. And the rarity increases the. I mean, it's not legendary, so it's probably around, like, 10th level or higher in terms of, like, when the party should get this. So I think that's a good idea of something that's higher up. And if you're crafting it, yeah, I think the AC is dependent. And maybe you have to get it blessed and it can be mended, but you can't mend something in combat. It takes a, a minute to do it. So yeah. there, there's some limitations on what it is. That's assuming the people you're fighting or creatures you're fighting are smart enough to know to hit it. Or, like I said, since it takes a whole round for it to come back to you, because it just stops in dead space. So if there's other enemies around it, on their turn, they have a chance to hit it. Mm-hmm. I think so that's a they good can idea. knock it out of the air or knock it to the ground or hell, you know, even more awesome, someone could jump on it. Because if this thing, it doesn't have a weight limit. Mm-mm. It doesn't state that, which is something else you have to think about. If someone jumps on this and they just ride that sucker back to you, or if you're going, like you're throwing it towards your teammate and it stops just short of them and they run and jump on it and it brings them to you. On the next turn. Yeah, oh, this would be so be fun. Dope. That'd be so cool. Okay. Anywho, there are tons of possibilities. You just have to flesh it out, but it is a great concept idea. And, you know, we're all stuck inside. So you guys get on it and let us know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of being stuck inside, I think it's time for our DM tip. Just a tip. Thank you. I'm not allowed to do it, apparently. Um, You did it, Courtney. I did. It was real bad. So what we wanted to talk about, we were thinking of doing, like, ending a campaign. We'll save that for later. But what we wanted (laughs) to do Because we've, like, never done it. (laughs) Never really. I've done that in undergrad, but being in school again, haven't finished one. Uh, Just lots of hopes and dreams. Same with grad school. Um, So... What we wanted to talk about is as a lot of people are getting into self-distancing, social distancing, not self-distancing, that just sounds meaner, um, <laughs> kind of, um, a little bit of a quarantine shelter in place. We wanted to talk about how you can play D&D online if you're not familiar with it. Uh, we both have agreed that we prefer meeting in person uh, when it has a better social aspect to it. But during this coronavirus outbreak, that's not necessarily the only thing that can happen and it's not really doable in most cases. 
So we're kind of going to talk about some of the options you have of which you can set up an online game. Uh, the first being is, unless you're just super good at theater of the mind and can keep everybody's attention when you can't look them in the face, um, we would suggest you have some type of software for mapping and showing the players what's in front of them, whether that's handouts, so like a puzzle piece or any other information on a character. Maybe it's just an NPC portrait. Um, the other thing you could be is the maps in general for playing a game. And so for having these, for getting these in front of the players, there's Roll20, there is Astral Tabletop, and there's also uh, Tabletop's uh, Simulator. There's a few other softwares out there. We're most familiar with Roll20. Um, that's something that I've used for a few years now. I think I started in like 2009 on there. By no means is that the only thing I ever use. I'll use it a lot of the time if I'm projecting a map or using it at the party for the party, but it's not always we're playing online with it. Um, the benefit is you can put your own backgrounds in, you can put your tokens in, you can actually purchase uh, pre-made materials. So any of the core modules, if not most of them are there, you can purchase them on on Roll20, have all the material you need to run the campaign. It'll include tokens for the NPCs. You can also include maps of rooms, monsters, and everything. It's all gonna be in that packet for you to use, including the handouts as well. It's very handy. Our experience with that is we played a game of Curse of Strahd where oh the DM purchased the packet. And I will admit. No, he did great. He, he did I, great. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say him using Roll20 was fine. I personally yes. don't care for it because I'm just inept when it comes to technology. I had a lot of things that couldn't be fixed because somebody went to Colorado and stuff okay so i just i don't like it but he did, did a good job Colorado? yep that was you it wasn't me <laughs> i'm very confused we'll have to talk about that because i don't remember that but either way um so roll 20 is a great opportunity to have uh your maps and everything on display i will say i no issue with roll 20 they have a video service and an audio service built into it but depending on how much of the map and the interactions and everything you can even load in your character sheets and dice roll from there as well um, it's really it's really comprehensive when you get into it and when you use it and it's really great when you get into it. Yes. it has, and when um guy who's that that DM when he bought that the maps and everything, it was really cool because he could describe it and it's right there in front of you. You see everything that he is talking about. Um things show up as he you know, it's it's really good when you can use it to its full potential. Yes. And when you're doing that, though, it, it's still a lot of, I need to be prepared to run the game. So as a DM, it's always good to read in advance of what you're doing, <laughs> setting up those encounters properly, making sure you know the controls. And all of this is covered on their tutorials and documentation within Roll20. I highly recommend that. The one downside is there is some limitations with their video and audio. It works fine. You don't always have to use it. And the alternative to that, I would say, is probably Discord. Um, we're currently recording with Zoom. There's not an issue with that. It's working fine. But what we would look at probably is with Discord, you have an ability, one, to roll dice as well. You can also just have a chat in there. There's text. You can also share images and everything, too. Um, the creativity of Discord is kind of limited. I want to say it's only audio. I don't recall if it does video. It's been a while since I've looked at that. I, think, that we, I think we tried video. Um, however, between all of us, it was really hard to keep everything kind of in sync and everyone's feed up to date and all that type of stuff. But it yeah. may have been proved since then. That was a couple of years ago. That was a couple of years ago. And that was, that was the video on roll 20. And so we, we normally mm. just do straight up audio for mm -hmm. online games. It's fine. Um, I, I, 
the only issue I've ever had with Roll20 is we were playing a game remotely with a friend who, honestly, you could tell they were fudging some rolls. And because they weren't rolling in this module, they weren't rolling in the system. And so that's something, if you feel like maybe they're having really good luck that day and it just seems to be like kind of violating the laws of probability, something that you might question it. I, I personally prefer rolling a dice than clicking a few keys and having a dice being rolled for me. That just makes me feel like I'm playing more. The question is whether you trust your players to be honest with you. Because if they seem... One, one of the things that we had was... Um, there is a chance when you are a wild magic sorcerer that you oh, can roll <laughs> and receive all of your meta magic points or your spell sorcery points back. And the fact that it happened twice without an announcement told me that it wasn't necessarily the most true situation. And they rolled without telling the DM. So take that with a grain of salt. That's just me being bitter as hell. But, uh, <laughs> make sure you're careful with your players. Make sure they're using the system to roll. It makes it a lot easier. Roll20 um, is a great resource. Go ahead. I was going to say that is one thing about doing online gaming that you have to be careful with is that if you're using a pre-written material, the chance of metagaming goes up exponentially. And we all hope that none of our players will do it, but sometimes it happens. Just, just keep that in the back of your mind that that is something that can happen. It shouldn't happen, but it can happen. Yeah. And when you see it coming, always ask, well, how would your character know that? And then they have, if they can give you a just reasoning of why they did it from either their backstory or their knowledge in game, maybe. But the main thing is you want to find that resource that best matches your group. And if you buy that prepackaged material, you can actually have most of it set up for you to get ready to go as soon as possible. I will also say there's a lot of free options within Roll20. You might not have the fanciest map. Um, there's also free maps online. Just make sure everyone's aware of where you're getting your sources from, especially if you're streaming or anything like that. But just get everybody on board. Get them on Roll20. Probably use Discord for your chat and rolling if you need to, or you can just use the built-in ones. Um, starting that campaign, though, you'll need to set up your account. Everyone playing will likely need an account as well. Um, if you're using 5e, which is what we're talking about here, hopefully you are, not I, uh, you'll, <laughs> you, can, you can set up characters on um, Roll20's actual character sheet generator. And even if you go in there, you can click like, oh, I make a perception check. And when you do that, you can click perception on your character sheet and it will roll it for everyone to see. And it's extremely beneficial if you're using a spell. It gives you the spell description so the rest of the party can see it. There are some limitations of how up-to-date it is depending on what you've paid for in the packages. But within that, you have a lot of opportunities to make some pretty fun sessions even when you're not allowed to see each other face-to-face. As an alternative, I have heard of this app called Tabletop Simulator. I was introduced to it a few days ago. It comes on Steve. It does have a price tag associated with it. You can get four copies for $30, um, or it's a little bit more expensive, like $20 for one copy. Go with the bulk pack. Um, and you can actually play other games like Cards Against Humanity, um, The House on the Hill, something like that. can't remember the name of that. Oh, yeah, I know that one. I know what you're yeah. talking about. And there's other game packages that you can do. Whenever you're working on that, that's something where, hey, I'm purchasing this. Everyone can play it. Only one person needs a copy of the game, but they need everyone needs a copy of the simulator. So I saw Uno on there. There's a bunch of other games that you can get together. Maybe you don't have a D&D night, but now you have a social aspect to your day. Uh, yes, very much so. I Like I said, I'm not much into on the going over those, but 
in a time like this, you do what you got to do. And I hope that this helps everybody out. Definitely look it up. There was a really good tutorials on YouTube and things. If, if you are like me and you really need the, to see the process, it was like 11 minutes long, but it was really in-depth. It looked good. Yes. So, anywho, um, there's you- <laughs> Roll20 crash courses. There's a ton of stuff you can use on there. Um, the main thing you want to look at is how prepared are you to use it? How familiar are the party members? You might say, I'll run the tokens for everyone. You guys can just tell me what you're going to do and where you're going to go. There's some click and drag options. You can measure distances. There's all sorts of tools that you can use on there. Um, sorry, one thing I was going to say, because I know a lot of this sounds like it's just designated for people who are going to run a game. Um, if you're looking for a game, they, yeah, if, if you're looking for a game or you're looking to DM a game, that is also on an option on Roll20. Um, they have like, it's like one ads, like in search of party that can yeah, play on Wednesday nights. Like it sounds like, um, yeah, it's like one ads, but it, it will tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's the classifieds. Thank you. Um, so they'll have dates and times that they're going to meet. Some of them are really extensive some of them are really simple some of them are new dms some of them are experienced but yada 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 but it's a way to customize it if you need to um and it's a way that if you you know we're all we are all social distancing and if you don't have enough friends to make your party um you can go and put hey we have a party at, or a campaign we're going to run in search of three players available on this day this time and yeah you know it will work either way player or dm mm-hmm and it doesn't hurt to even find maybe you're trying it out for the first time and you don't want to do a full campaign. Check out DMs Guild. They have mm. a bunch of online resources you can get. Some of them are free. Some of them are like $3. And it's a wise investment for something you can do. If you're not paying for all of the books and everything else, it's a really cheap investment for you to get started in the game. If you go to, as a last recommendation, I found this the other day because I was super interested in trying to find a one-off. Um, if you go to adventurelookup.com slash adventure, because redundancy, um, <laughs> you can actually filter through and find a bunch of different systems. So there are 1,048 fifth edition modules that are available on the site. Holy will, cow. Yeah. They're not all there for you to take. They're for you to find. You could set like where you want it, who made it, your character level, what items they're receiving. There's a bunch of filters on here. This is a great resource if you're just trying to find some sweet, sweet stuff to work on as a one-off. It also goes over some of the modules as well. And modules are those big, long campaigns that are set in specific settings. And so this is a great opportunity to look through here, find what you're looking for. It gives you like the page length for a one-off. 20 to 40 pages is probably good enough. And you can always go a little bit smaller than that if you're just trying to learn the basics. Um, I highly recommend adventurelookup.com. That's dope. Um, so if you guys need to binge listen, you know, and just listen to our fantastic voices all over again, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice, obviously, <laughs> at Sweet Tea and D&D. Um, all separate words, because if you come together, nothing's going to come up. But if you're looking for social media, which I don't know, I'm looking to expand. I don't know what else to do, though. I feel like I'm not interesting enough to do a whole lot on there, but whatever. We're still doing the memes. We got the meme game on lock. Uh, that is Sweet Tea and D&D all, um, one all together. Word. Oh, one word. Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And Facebook. We got it all. You can also check out our website where we have additional show notes and links to some of the materials we talked about today at sweet tea and D&D, all one word, dot simplecast.com. 
Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>